the Academy of Mech in Nepsilam, the capital of Kinderak. Mechvat smoothed his vestments, taming the many woolen tufts that hung from the bell-shaped garment like wisteria blossoms. It would be unthinkable for the sage prime of Mech to appear dishevelled in public. He was old but spry, paunchy around the middle. Five azure circles crowned his shaved head, a layer of chalk coated his brown face, and an unbroken black brow line framed the unblinking eyes of wisdom painted over his eyelids. Forty students sat cross-legged around him inside the scroll room, each with a desk board balanced on their lap and a blue novice dot adorning their shaven head. Mostly ten or eleven years old, this crop barely knew how to mix ink and cut a pen. There were lower-ranking scholars who might have attended this duty, of course, but he rather enjoyed it. They called him pompous and insufferable behind his back, and he rather enjoyed that, too. Today's lesson, dictation and copying. I, Kindhir son of Birik Daman, who raised towers in the seven cities and affixed their bells, who laid the foundations of Nepsilam, seventh city of seven, who laid the roads between them and beyond, do now decree. First, that the taciturnity of the gods breeds ignorance. Therefore shall all principle be established by learning and not divination, prognostication or consultation of spirits. Second, that the ambition of unrestrained peerage breeds violence. Therefore shall a heptarch be installed over every city, whose dominion shall encompass wisdom, peace and good order but above all, unity. Third, that shadows lie beyond the circle of our light. Therefore shall an academy of Mech be established in every city, that by the illumination of their council the circle may expand to the benefit of all. Beyond these, let each city be their own guide, and Nepsilam shall lead them. He waited until everyone caught up. Sheath your pens. How, How delicious, delicious the sound of unanimous compliance. What is your purpose here? he asked them. Why do you befoul my parchments, break my pens and spill my ink? Why do you flatten the stones of my court with your cheeks? He adopted an extemporaneous tone, as though he hadn't taught this lesson hundreds of times before. One boy ventured it was because their parents had brought them. A portly boy suggested they would have a good career and make a lot of money. The precocious girl who imagined herself his favourite said, To obtain skill in writing... He dismissed their answers with an idle swat of his hand. "'Oh, you desolate hollows, you empty, empty pots! You are here to be filled!' None of the students dared speak further. Indeed, Mech the Most Wise is a vast reservoir of wisdom, and I am his canal. You, my little mud-cracked ditches, will one day irrigate the land so that all the flowers of wisdom may bloom. Your parents who brought you here are bricklayers, dung-haulers, diggers of dirt.' illiterate merchants who keep inventories with jars of coloured pebbles and knotted twine. He stepped outside the circle and now pretended to survey a shelf of scrolls. To you, words are a mystery, to them a cruel master. The ruler's decree subjugates his people, the mystic's writ fascinates the supplicants, the lawyer's complaint sways the judges, but not without someone to write it down. As he spoke the last clause, he swept his hand over them. Some of the students laughed with approval. They were the someones. Ah, you see, a warlord may rule by his lips alone, and a village may govern itself by the half-remembered traditions of the elders, but a great nation. For that, there must be written records. Rulers live and die, and their decrees go with them to the silent lands, unless, unless, they are fixed in writing and thus removed from the whim of those who happen to be alive and walking about. 
he unfurled the scroll he had been dictating to them with a practised flick of his wrist. Kind here the wise H.M. Your grandmother knows the tales, retold in the telling until they're no less than half a lie. But what if the man himself might speak to us in this very room, four hundred and thirty-six years later? He may never escape the silent lands, but his words have, by writing, and simply by reading you may conjure him to speak the living word anew. He paused for effect, finger held aloft. That, my darling little voids, is civilization. That is power. And that is why you are all here. Hands clasped behind his back, he exited, his signal to the students to clean up their things and return to their quarters, and before long the greater portion of you will crawl mewling back to the inbred mud-humpers who dropped you here. Mekvat made a habit of holding court with the young adults of the academy after the evening meal. While he considered it proper to dine alone, he made a small commotion, putting away his bowl as a sort of signal. Anyone interested would follow him down the arched corridors, while he regaled them with anecdotes and reminiscences. The parade stopped at a new atrium or nook every evening, to keep the mystery alive, as he put it. There he made a performance out of lowering himself onto a couch, taking unnecessary pains to swaddle the indigo fabric of his robes around his feet. Once situated, he waved a solicitous hand where some wine should be, finding either a full cup or someone eager to fetch one. The evening's topic came next, a story, a few lines of verse, an ethical problem, a riddle of his own devising, anything, so long as he was sure his listeners hadn't heard it before. Of all possible modes of intercourse, debate was his least favourite to engage and most favourite to watch. As the evening progressed, he nudged the discussion in circles until it was time to propose a solution, or just as often to declare there never was one. The regulars were onto the game, while newcomers were on the defensive. Not that he kept track. Sorting names and faces had always been a weakness, more so as he got older, but he didn't let it trouble him. Conversation amused him no matter who brought it. On one such occasion he inscribed a triangle in the air. Text, tradition, personal experience. He sipped his wine. Pick any two and leave the third behind. Which and why? One young man said, Personal experience is the least reliable of the three. We should judge by accuracy. I disagree, a young woman interjected. About accuracy? No, that personal experience is least. I say tradition is least because it is derivative that is, the sum of personal experiences over time, and a text. Are they never second-hand? The first young man said, Of course, a text can be reported second or third-hand, but we take it to mean whatever the writer wishes it to say, therefore first-hand. The young woman sat up straighter. Consider this illustration. The ancestors scooped water from the sea into little clay pots, each in turn filled the pot of their descendants, and they theirs elder to younger down the line, until the youngest descendants poured theirs into the soup. Mekvat pretended to pour his cup to a smattering of laughter. She continued, Some found that their ancestors had spilled along the way and left them a dry pot. Others found the water tainted, so they poured it on the ground. Still others found their ancestors had scooped up mud. Several scholars approached, led by a tall, dour man. Mekvat saluted them with his cup. Ah, Paberak, join us. This young woman is on the cusp of an important discovery. With respect, Minister, certain matters require your immediate attention. Mekvat feigned shock. Matters, you say? 
A few of the young adherents stifled laughter. Mekvat folded his hands in his lap and stared at the tall man waiting. He considered it impossible for a serious person to be very wise and judged the elder scholars, with their furrowed brows and clouded expressions, to hold the opposite opinion. Paberak shifted his gaze around the assembly, finally alighting on Mekvat. Minister, as we discussed, yesterday. Ah, that. Mekvat scowled for his audience. A very urgent matter. Paberak said nothing, but his expression was clear enough, as though he genuinely wondered why the old man delighted in tormenting him. Insufferable men ought not to be suffered. Is that not reason enough? Mekvat paused to clasp the young woman's hands. I'm sorry, dear. We'll take this up some other time. Questions assaulted him from all sides as they rushed down the corridors toward Pabirak's office. The orchards, the yards, the coming ceremonies, costumes, texts, songs. He stamped his seal on several parchments, signed his mark on others. He had ready answers for everything, no matter how trivial or obscure. You're all just waiting for me to die, aren't you? To see who replaces me. Too bad I'm still in my wits. There were always murmurings and resentments. Perhaps he meant to skip over them, grooming some young upstart in their place. He hadn't acknowledged them enough or for the right things. His priorities were upturned, his goals inarticulate. The elder scholars exhausted him with their constant worry over minutiae. Is their mech no more than a lord of sums and ciphers? Whatever happened to imagination? Creativity. By the time they left him, it was too late to re-adjourn his interlocutors, which he resented. Given the choice, he would always favour an evening spent with his little pools of blue fabric gathered in an adoring circle at his feet. At least they appreciated him. His quarters were halfway up the main tower, an honour due to his office and an inconvenience due to his age. A chamber in the archives might have suited him better. There was some consolation to be found in the view from his balcony, facing the moon as it rose, but this particular evening he was in no mood for celestial wonders. He tried to do a little reading, but found his internal fluids too agitated, so he mopped the grease and chalk from his face with a damp cloth and dressed for bed. Settled at last, he snuffed out his lamp. Ah, well, there's always tomorrow, until there isn't.